Uh, my name is Rihanna, and just a little bit of random facts about me. I am two parts Irish, one part German, and a quarter part Spanish. So I have a whole lot of fight in me. I'm a little bit stubborn and just a little bit spicy. So you can console my husband after service if you'd like. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Speaking of which, my husband Justin and I, um, we've been married for 15 years. We just celebrated our 15-year anniversary on Thursday. And we have four beautiful children. I, do you have the pictures that Pastor sent? Ah. All right, there's my, our, our normal family picture. These are our four beautiful children. And then we have our next picture is really more of a real representation of our life at home, which is pure goof and laughter. So um, our four kids, we've homeschooled for about 13 years. Uh, we're starting our 14th year in a couple weeks, so getting excited for that. And our family has actually attended Mosaic for about two and a half years. It'll be three years in December. And um, I've served on the governing team here for a little over a year. And my husband, Justin, and I serve on the prayer teams. You'll probably recognize Evelyn's face. She's not up there anymore. But Evelyn is very faithful and regular to serve with your babies and toddlers back in the children's area. She loves that. So you probably recognize her face as well. So, but when Pastor Eric um, contacted me a few weeks ago and asked me to come and preach here today, I was super excited to learn that the focus of our um, attention this month and next month is going to be really diving into the Holy Spirit because I really feel like the ministry of my heart is to see people's lives transformed and empowered to live victoriously through the Spirit because I really believe that this was the most important piece of Christ's ascension is when he said, I'm going to pour out the Spirit for you because I want to be able to empower everybody to do the work that I'm calling you to do. So the title of my message today is Power to Change, um, A Life Empowered by the Spirit. And I know we didn't get any note sheets out front there today. We're kind of uh, bare bones in it today, so thanks for bearing with us. But if you have paper and a pen, I encourage you to take notes because it always helps when you're hearing it to write it and to meditate on it during the, during the week. So... Um, but we're going to actually circle back. Pastor Eric has done a really great job these last couple of weeks sort of laying the groundwork for us on who the Holy Spirit is and how he relates to our lives. So we're going to kind of circle back. He left off around chapter 2, verse 37. And I'm going to read about 10 lines of scripture to you this morning, and then we are going to kind of dive in here. So starting at verse 37, if you have your Bibles, open up and follow along with me. Otherwise, they'll have it on the screens here for you. What we're seeing here, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, and the title over this 10 lines of scriptures is called The Ingathering. So this is kind of the community of people that has sort of been, been witnessing the power and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter gets up, and it says that he takes a stand and raises his voice and begins to preach with this power of the gospel of Christ. And this Christ that this community of people have crucified was the one who came to save them and is now offering salvation and power to them. And so we're reading in this next 10 lines of scripture how they respond to this. So starting at verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, Peter's preaching, they were pierced to the heart. I'm getting a little bit of feedback, just so you know. Um, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, 
as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So this is kind of giving us an insight of what their community life is like. Verse 43 says, For everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possession, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together. Uh, with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray real quick here before we get started. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word is truth and that it needs no introduction and it needs no addition, God. We thank you that your Holy Spirit come in this place right now and just unleash the power of the Spirit. Because in Corinthians, we thank you, Lord, that Paul reminds us that the kingdom is not consist of words, but of power. So Father, I thank you that anything that I could say here today is pennies compared to the riches that your power unleashes in this place. So Lord, I'm leaning on you today. I thank you, Lord, to speak through my mouth and think through my mind, feel through my heart, God, everything that you want to say to your people today, God. We thank you for your love and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we look into this, 10, this kind of 10 lines of scripture here, we're, kind of, we're getting this benefit of peering into this community of believers that has not yet experienced, but they're witnessing this first unleashing of the pouring out of the Spirit. See, in our Western culture, we have this nice, tidy New Testament, and it has been translated in a language that we can read and understand. We have commentaries written on the New Testament. We have great books by Christian authors that have spoken about the New Testament. But these people are having to, they're literally experiencing and hearing the power of the gospel being preached. And this is what they're responding to. So we're kind of getting this window into this community time. And it, it, it kind of reminds me of if you ever stood by a pond, just a real still pond, and you throw a stone into that pond, where that stone drops, there's an impact point. And in that impact point, from, from there on out, there's sort of this ripple effect that sort of happens on the outside. And in this community of believers, we're actually getting to witness three ripple effects that we're going to focus on this morning. And the first ripple is how they respond to the power of the Spirit. If you notice in verse 37, there is both an internal and an external response that these people have to the power and the pouring out of the Spirit. The first one says, right in verse 37, it says that they were pierced to the heart. This is that internal response when the Holy Spirit comes to speak to you and to convict you in your life. So they were pierced to the heart. This word pierced in the Greek means to agitate violently or to sting to the quick. So we think sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, it's gonna be all like, wow, this is so beautiful and pleasant and I feel great about everything I'm doing and, and the grace of God just gives me the permission to do whatever and I just feel great about that. But the reality is when the Holy Spirit comes, oftentimes he'll agitate you. And the reason for this is this, gen this community of people have been oppressed 
and in bondage for generation after generation. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he begins to want to separate them from those things that have held them in bondage. These thought, these thought patterns, these mindsets, these lies that they've believed unto the fact that they even crucified the very Christ that came to save them. And so it says that they were pierced through, they were agitated violently. So remember, oftentimes the things you hate to hear the most are the things you need to hear the most. The things that agitate you when they're being preached or when you're reading them in the word or when you're hearing it on a podcast or if a friend comes to you with a word and you're agitated by it, pay attention to those things because oftentimes those are the things that God wants to use to separate you from the things in your life that are creating bondage. It's a funny thing because we tend to cling so hard to the things we actually hate the most in our life that even when God comes to separate us from them, we sort of tantrum and, and have this, this aversion to it. But Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it digs down deep into our souls and it separates the bone from marrow. It separates soul from spirit, meaning it'll separate your poverty and lack mentality from the truth of God. That this word digs down and judges the thoughts and the intentions of man. So what's happening here is this community of people are being convicted of their need for Christ. It's a simple conviction of our need for Christ in whatever area of our life that we're hearing him in. But we can't be confused because conviction is not condemnation. There's a difference between being convicted and conviction will always lead you to life and to freedom. Anytime God puts his finger on something in your life, he always has freedom in mind. Condemnation, however, will lead you to death through shame and guilt and bondage. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says that the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, that it leads you to salvation, but that the sorrow of the world will lead to death. So this group of people is being convicted of their need for Christ in every area of their life. So let's look at the next thing that they do in that same verse. I don't know if they put up here for you or not, but the next thing they do in that same verse, it says that they go to the apostles and say, brethren, what shall we do? So they're internally convicted and their external response is what, what should I do? So the apostles tell them you need to repent, be baptized and filled with the spirit. So... They repent, get saved, get baptized, and then get filled with the Spirit. You see, obedience must follow conviction in order to be effective. Because simple conviction can become condemnation if action does not follow it. So we've talked about the difference between conviction and condemnation. God will always come to convict with freedom in mind, with life in mind, with salvation in mind. The enemy comes to condemn us and tell us things like, you stink. There's something wrong with you. God does not love you. All these things are happening to you because you're a problem. But conviction will always want us to lead, lead us to life. I liken it like the illustration if you were to bake a loaf of bread or purchase one from the store. Um, you bring it home, and instead of eating the bread, you set it out on your ledge, your counter, whatever. After about a few weeks or a couple of months, and of course, if you bake fresh bread, that will happen sooner. But if you buy it from the store, after a couple of months, what's going to happen to that bread if you're not eating it? It's going to get moldy. It's going to get stale. It's going to get hard. 
This is what conviction, this is what happens to us when Christ gives us conviction in our life as for a need for him in any area of our life. And we sort of put that bread on the shelf instead of receiving it and walking out in obedience, it begins to harden us and get moldy and stale in our hearts. This is why James chapter one says that we must be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Because what happens is when we're just a hearer of the good things of God, we hear the word, well, that's really good. The scripture's really good. We put it on a bumper sticker, put it on a t-shirt and we hear things, but we don't do them. James says that we begin to delude ourselves. And the Greek word for delude means to be carried away by false beliefs. So what happens is the enemy can come in when God convicts us in an area, but we put it on the shelf, and all of a sudden we begin to carry false beliefs. We begin to operate in self-pity, self-doubt, self-rejection, self-hate, guilt, shame, fear, condemnation. But yet this was not the original intent of the Lord. Um, an interesting example of this is I had a friend a few years ago. I do have friends now, but... This friend of mine a few years ago, um, she had been talking a lot about how the Lord was convicting her and her husband of tithing on their income. Now, the word tithe means 10%. So the Lord was convicting them to give 10% of their income. And this was a family who was very responsible with their money, very frugal, very fiscally responsible. So this had nothing to do with recklessness. The Lord simply was teaching them generosity, teaching them obedience, teaching them surrender. So there's, there was this conviction to give, but they just put it on the shelf. They, they, you know, we had a discussion about it. They had several reasons why they weren't going to do it. They put it on the shelf. Fast forward to tax season, very long story short, they ended up getting back a lot more than they intended to for tax season. So they paid off a bunch of debt, put money into savings, were very responsible with it, and had this chunk of money left over. And there were a few things in their home that needed to be replaced. So they decided since this money was extra, they had been responsible with it, they were going to go ahead and replace these things in their home that they'd really been wanting to do for a while. So they did. And she came to visit me shortly after that and kind of told me this story about their taxes and stuff. And I was like, wow, what a blessing of God. That's awesome. I'm so happy that you got back more than you thought and you were able to do some things around your home that you wanted to do. And she just said, yeah, but I just feel so guilty. I feel guilty for spending that money. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, ask her if she tithed on that money. And so I said, well, did you tithe on that money? And she said, no, I know we were supposed to, but we didn't. You see, what happens is the simple things in life that are, that are to bring us blessing and pleasure can become a, cond a condemnation of thought, not because this is God's intent for us. God does not condemn us for spending money on things that bring us pleasure. This is not the way of God. However, the conviction in her life bred condemnation and all the simple things because of that one piece of bread she left on the shelf. And so I encourage you this morning, if there are places in your life that you are feeling condemnation, I encourage you to pray and ask God to show you if there is a place of conviction that he has spoken to you about and you know it, and perhaps you already do, but that you have put the bread on the shelf. And go back to that place of conviction and step out in obedience and let him set you free this morning. Amen? All right. 
So as we're seeing this external response, what shall we do? They step out in obedience. They do what the apostles tell them to do. And they realize that God is something that we really need to realize and understand in our life, that God will never stop pursuing you, never. He doesn't give up on us, but he will never force himself into your life. So he will always chase after you and give you what you need to be obedient. But it's a give and take, it's a relationship. And this brings us to the second ripple in this community, and that's the, the ripple of relationship. So if you look at verses 42 and 46 and a couple of others, you're gonna see phrases like continually and day by day, continuing. This signifies this relationship with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a one-time deal. They weren't just filled with the Holy Spirit and then sort of went on with their own life and, and said, okay, Jesus will catch you on the flip side when I die. This was a walking out of community, of faith, of prayer, of communion, of belief. So continually, day by day, it's kind of like if you walked into a cemetery and you looked at a headstone or a gravestone, you're going to see three marks of an earthly timeline, the birth date, the death date, and the little dash that's in between those two numbers that represents our very, very short time here on earth. And in the spirit, we really have three marks of our relationship with God here on earth. The first is when you begin to understand that God created you, that he is the God of all creation, that according to John chapter one, that for him, by him, and through him, all things were made. He is the creator. That is when he becomes the God of your beginning. And the second thing that happens is when you come to know Christ as your savior, you understand that he bled and died for your sins so that when you die, you can spend eternity with him and you confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart. He becomes the God of your end. But the third part of our relationship with the Lord here on earth is something that Pastor Eric talked about a couple weeks ago very briefly, that we sort of scoot over this piece, and this is the relationship through the Holy Spirit. This is when we're continually and day by day relinquishing ourselves over to the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.10 says that for if while we were dead in our transgressions, Christ or God reconciled us back to himself through the death of his son. How much more then shall we live through his life? How much more then shall we live through his life? The word live is the Greek word sozo and it means to be whole. It means to be delivered, to be healed, to be protected. You see some of us, and this was a time in my life too, that you're just laying on the floor in your struggles like, oh God, be with me. And Jesus says, child, I'm going to be with you. I told you I would never leave you, but I did you one better. I am in you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you have to stand up from that place of struggle and move. Because this is the relationship of the Spirit. I love what uh, Elizabeth Prentice said in her book, Stepping Heavenward. She said, the question is not whether or not you ever gave yourself to God, but whether or not you are his now. Every day that you wake up, this is the question. Are you his today? And so every day of my life, I'm, I open myself and say, Jesus, sit upon the throne of my heart again today. Because I know that if I don't, that I am the Lord of my life. Because it's so often easy for us to be that. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to us so that we could live to the standard of grace. 
Christ came with the standard of grace. So grace did not say, okay, I came and I died so you can do whatever and we're all good. He actually raised the standard of living through grace by saying, not only do I not want you to murder, I don't even want you to hate your brother. Not only do I not want you to commit adultery, I don't want you to look at porn. I don't want you to lust. I don't want you to fantasize about another person. But see, all of this is sad news to one who does not live in the spirit because this is impossible to do on our own. The fruit of the spirit is evidence in our life that we live in intimacy with him. The fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5.22 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Oh, I didn't know if I was going to remember all those. (laughs) But this fruit cannot be attained by mere human effort. This fruit, fruit is the result of intimacy. When you get married, a husband and a wife have the fruit of children because they're intimate. The fruit of the Spirit is the result of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I remember sitting on my couch when I was a very young Christian, and you know, I, I painted the fruit of the Spirit on our wall because it was so fancy, and it helped me remember that I'm a Christian and all these good things. And I remember staring at them one morning, and I was like, God, I have absolutely none of those at all. I literally started my Christian walk deficient on every single one. And I remember thinking in my type A personality, like, how am I going to get those? How am I going to make my life look like love and like joy and like peace? Because I want people to know that I love Jesus. And little did I know, and, and through relationship with him over the years, he has shown me that it is not about what I do to attain them, but by my, but by my efforts of surrender to him working in my life. And so God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to just know about him. He wants you to experience him through relationship because knowledge plus experience equals an unshakable foundation. You see, when we just know things, that can be taken away from us. There's always gonna be somebody that has studied harder than you, that's a better student than you, that knows more than you, that can debate better than you. And they're always gonna be able to shake what you think you know. Likewise, with experience, like myself, I, I rode my life and my Christian faith a lot on, based on a lot on what I experienced because I was a person of conviction. And so I didn't know a whole lot. I just knew how I felt about God. But see, even that, you can be carried away in it. And then all of a sudden, your emotions are dragging you through life. Like when you're up, it's good. When you're down, it's not good. And so God began to Challenge me to know the word, to know who he is here as I experience him and surrender to him in my life. And that creates an unshakable foundation for you. So as we are pierced through the heart like this community, it begins to show us that what we thought we knew, we no longer know. And we become like a child in faith coming to God every day, looking for that daily bread, looking for that relationship because in five, Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, they that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So maybe today you have been feeling complacent and numb. Maybe you've lost your hunger or perhaps you've never even had it to begin with. I encourage you to pray and ask God to make you hungry and desperate for the things of the Spirit. Because in Matthew 7, 7, it says that if you ask, it will be given. He is a generous God. And this brings us to our third and final ripple that the results of life in the spirit for this community was multiplication. 
In verse 47, it says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God is a God of multiplication. He wants to multiply everything in your life. Your marriage, your relationships, your finances, your spiritual life, your ministry to others. He wants to multiply your life because everything he puts his hand to prospers. When Jesus came and did miracles, everything he did was above and beyond the need of the moment. When he turned water into wine, he turned it into top shelf wine and to a bunch of drunk folks that didn't know the difference. It says in the word that they were all drunk and they had no idea what they were even drinking and that was the time when they would bring out the cheap stuff. But Jesus gave them the best regardless of what their condition was. And this is the God we serve, the God of multiplication. So God will inspire multiplication in your life through obedience and relationship to him. But the purpose of our multiplication is not just for us. The purpose of our multiplication we see here in Acts is for maturity and leadership to others. If you fast forward to chapter eight in the book of Acts, which we're not gonna do together because we don't have time, you're going to find that in chapter 8, Saul comes on the scene. And Saul is the Apostle Paul before he gets converted, and he is zealous for the Jewish tradition. It says that he incites a persecution, a mass persecution that scatters them everywhere. The whole community, all the communities are scattered. But then in verse 4, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, it says that those who were scattered began to preach that signs and wonders were following him. People were getting delivered of demons. Healing was happening. People were getting saved and baptized and filled with the Spirit. So the, this community of people that began crucifying Christ through conviction and obedience and relationship and multiplication of the Spirit are now leading people to that throne. So maturity is always the goal of our discipleship. In verse 39, it says that the promise of the Spirit is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. So we have to understand that our lives, our journeys, our surrender, everything that God does in and through us is not just for us, but it's for his glory and for the leadership to so many around you that need you. So if you find for yourself saying, well, I don't really care, Lord, because I'm fine the way I am. I'm just going to live my life. My life is good. It's all good. Something that you may want to think about are the people that God has put in your life that are waiting for you to come to them. Because you are the answer to somebody's prayers. And so as we close out here today, I want to have Emily come up, if you would, and just begin to play on the keys here. I want to um, just pray over everybody this morning. And then after we're done praying, um, Justin and I will be down here this morning and I just want to do some ministry time. If you feel like there is an area of your life that you want prayer for, if you need healing, if you need deliverance, um, we just want to minister to you this morning. But as I close out, I just really want you to understand and catch this that as we're working through these, this book of Acts and, and pastor is really moving through the Holy Spirit and really um, diving into that, don't let it be just an experience that you have for this moment and then let it slip away as we move into other things throughout the year.
Let it ignite a flame in you to begin to empower you to live a victorious life. Because the empowerment of the Spirit in your life is not just about you. It's about those who are around you. Your freedom is the key to freedom to those who are around you. Your freedom builds bridges of hope to those who are struggling and suffering just like you have. So the struggling piece for you has to end. We have to move through to get to the life of victory. Now, this does not mean that we never have trouble in our life. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 6, 33, Take, look, keep your eyes open because there's tribulation in this world. But then he followed it up by saying, but take heart because I've overcome the whole thing. I've overcome the entire world. And this is so important to us because his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. So it's not about not having weaknesses or struggle. It's about leaning into his power so that we can live above it, that we can overcome it, that we can move through it and not be stuck in it. You see, you are the ambassador that Christ spoke of in 2 Corinthians 5.20 when he said, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ as though God himself were making an appeal through us. God wants to make an appeal through you to the people that you work with. Paul, we know you got some people that you, you meet day by day that need some deliverance and healing, hallelujah. And this is the point. You're going to meet people that you work with, that you go to school with, your neighbors, your kids, your spouse. You're leading somebody. You may not be up here playing an instrument or have a microphone, and that's okay. These lights are really hot, and I'm sweating like crazy right now. So you don't have to worry about being up here. This is not what it's about. The leadership happens in your sphere. So the empowering of the Holy Spirit is to be brought out to the community. So let's stand up. I want to pray over us today. And if you just stretch your hands out to heaven, who cares what everybody else around you thinks? We're not here to look good or impress people. If you're going to be a fool, I just say be a fool for Jesus anyway. So just stretch your hands out to heaven this morning. And like that community, let's let the Lord put his finger on some things in our life. Let's resolve to step out in obedience and surrender to his Lordship and ask him, what do you want for me, God, every day? Father, I thank you for this community of believers. I thank you, Lord, for the hungry hearts that are here right now. And God, I pray for those who have lost their hunger or perhaps they've never even found it. God, I pray right now for the hunger and thirst for your righteousness to be unleashed in this place. I pray that you would burn in us, God, a new hunger for your word, for righteousness, for truth. Because we thank you, Lord, that you fill those who are hungry. Right now, Father, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for sending your son. Jesus, we thank you that through you we have eternal life. And if there's anyone in this room right now that can say you have not given the end over to God today, we can do that.
So as you lift your heart up to him, just say, Jesus, I am yours. Save me. It's as simple as that. Jesus, I am yours. Save me. And if today you feel that you have not ever had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's you, you're ready to receive the power of the Spirit in your life so that you can walk with the Lord every day in victory, knowing Him, not just with an intellect, but with an experience. Just stretch your heart out to the Lord this morning. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray, God, that you would pour down your Spirit in this place, that you would release the power of your Holy Spirit in this place right now, all over this place, that you would just press upon your people, God, pursue them and let them know that they are loved. I pray, God, today that we would have an experience with your love, God, that we would not just know it, but we would experience that radical encounter with you today, God. Give us the courage and the strength, Lord, to let go of the things that you've told us to let go of and to begin to, begin to risk stepping out into the things that you're telling us to step out in so that, God, we can be as you see us that you can be revealed in us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.